Turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 2, if you would. If you don't have a sermon study guide, uh, lift up your hand and uh, the ushers will get one to you speedily this morning. Again, it's so good to have you with us. Uh, this is the third of four sermons, uh, four services that uh, I will be undertaking today. Uh, if you'd like to join us tonight at 5 o'clock, I will be preaching at Gateway Assembly of God uh, up in Imlay City. My brother's church has a real thirst to hear about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and how to receive your prayer language. And they've invited me to come on up and uh, minister, and then we're going to have a good old-fashioned Pentecostal Holy Ghost altar time as people come to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They're just 30 minutes up the road, and we'd love to have you tonight. I'd feel more at home to have some lakeside friends out there. And uh, 5 o'clock this evening, you will be blessed. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, but since I'm not a Facebooker, I opened up a page two years ago and I never went back. And so if you've tried to become my friend and wonder why I haven't, uh, I, I, I can't keep up with my emails. And uh, so I brought some pictures back for you of the wedding with my son Jonathan who grew up here at this church, nurtured, raised at this church in your ministry, thought that uh, I could share a little family album with you real quick here this morning. First picture, put it up there if you would. Here's Mom, Becky, standing at a sign that says, Welcome to our day, Taryn and John. This is at the wedding venue. Southern California, they do their weddings at outdoor wedding venues. You say, why? Because they can in Southern California. <laughs> Next picture. Uh, they had a little room set up with the wedding pictures of the Christ generations. In the center there, you'll see this young couple. The bride is still young. She's just married to an old dude there in the center. That was 36 years ago, your pastor and Becky in that picture. I thought that was a, a neat thing that John and Taryn decided to do. Next picture, here's the groom. He's praying hard just before he gets married as mom and dad are standing with him. Next picture, there he is standing with mom. Doesn't she look gorgeous in her new gown? Yes, yes. Your pastor's wife, Becky. Amen. This is just before the ceremony. Next picture, there he, there's the groom saying goodbye to singlehood with his two sisters, Julie and Jenny. Yes. Next picture, we're just getting ready, Dad and Jonathan, to walk out on the stage and perform the ceremony. It was my great privilege to uh, officiate. Uh, of course, the bride could have chosen her pastor, but they allowed me to marry them. One of the great experiences of my life. Yes. Next picture, please. And there's our new daughter, uh, Taryn Danae. Christ, no longer Taryn Danae Burns, Taryn Danae Christ. Beautiful parents, uh, a, a mother and father, uh, a couple uh, that we fell in love with, people of God. And, and uh, 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 Taryn gave such beautiful vows from her heart on how she wants to be a godly woman, a godly wife, a pastor's wife to my son who's a pastor. Next picture, uh, there's the two ring bearers, Lakeside's own Jack and Logan, and uh, my twin grandsons, are your youth pastor's uh, sons, yes. Next picture, there's the wedding party. I don't know if you can see John and Taryn kissing with the wedding party, but then down below, you see the ring bearers with hands over their eyes as bride and groom are kissing. Next picture, there is the new married couple, uh, John and Taryn. Pray for them if, as they're on honeymoon, uh, 16 days in a honeymoon. Becky and I took one week, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Ramada Inn, 
$12 a night. We spent the first night at a place that charged $30 a night, and your pastor thought that was too high. And so we went to the Ramada Inn, 12 bucks a night. John and Taryn are in Bali, Indonesia, having their vacation. I mean, where do you go when you live in Southern California, huh? Real good. We so appreciate all the prayers and uh, the well wishes from so many of you. Uh, Becky has many more pictures on Facebook. but We thought you'd, you'd be blessed with those pictures typifying a wedding and marriage. But what can we say about marriage today? Marriage in America, I don't need to tell you, is in trouble. It's in trouble. If we can bring the lights back up. I feel like I'm in a funeral home here. Bring the lights back up. Recent research says that 40% of Americans think that marriage is becoming obsolete. Another recent Pew study from the Pew Research Center found that millennials, young adults under age 30, think that parenting is more important than having a good marriage. Duh. If you don't have a good marriage, you're not a good parent. That's the problem with that research and results, findings. Another survey found that 50% of all of those that are married feel that they're stuck, stuck in a rut, in a semi-happy marriage. Because of that, we have extremes that we've never witnessed before with marriages. We have couples that are signing legal commitments just to, be re just to remain married until the kids are raised and then to make the decision of whether or not they want to stay together. We have other couples that are agreeing with one another to look the other way and allow extramarital affairs to go on, but they stay legally married. All because of semi-happy marital relationships, the studies tell us. No matter this morning, if you're single, if you're married, if you feel stuck in a semi-happy marriage, I want you to know God's got a word for you. Marriage was never man's invention. Marriage is God's creation. And we want to consult the designer this morning. We want to consult the creator this morning of that which is a blessing that he has given as a source of provision and blessing to us called marriage. Read with me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, beginning in verse 18. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and not ashamed. Here God not only reveals the fundamentals, the basics, the basic ingredients for a healthy and a happy marriage. But before you check out this morning's singles, God's got a word for you too. God's got a word here for all of us. Whether you're married, planning on getting married, or planning on remaining single, God's got a word for all of us here this morning. A word, how to have a healthy, happy relationship. I'm talking about the abundant life with the lover of your soul. This morning I speak a word that I've entitled Lifetime Lovers. Lifetime Lovers. Write it down with me if you would this morning. Fill in the blank. After each of God's creative acts, He stated in chapter 1, it was good. And then suddenly when we turn over the page into chapter 3, what do we hear? 
all of a sudden we hear God say, it is not good. Why would God say, it is not good? Why? It's not good for man to be alone. And all the happy husbands would say, I got a few out there. It was not a resounding, crashing, reverberating, resonating, amen. It is not good for man to be alone. And the husbands would say, amen. there we go. No question about it. I, I just happened to, to make that statement in John's wedding, and he shouted out, amen. We were worried. We thought he'd be a bachelor to the rapture. It's not good for man to be alone. Uh, and God said, I will make a helpmeet suitable for him. Now, uh, a feminazi reading that, those are fighting words. But that's a misunderstanding of what God is saying. The original Hebrew word for helpmeet or helpmate conveys the idea of wholeness, fulfillment. It conveys the idea that a man is not complete. He is not fulfilled until he's united with woman. That's God's original intention. The Bible says that God made Adam out of a... That's why you need a pastor. Some of you didn't go to Sunday school. The Bible says that God made woman out of Adam's rib. There we go. Boy, you worried me. Father was taking his, his daughter home from Sunday school, and he, he asked Susie, he says, Susie, what did you learn in Sunday school this morning? She said, I learned how God made the first woman. Well, tell me how. Well, when God made Eve, he put Adam to sleep and then took out his brains and made the first woman. And all the women said, <laughs> I like Matthew Henry's commentary. I've repeated it often at weddings. For God did not make woman out of man's head to rule over him. God did not make woman out of a man's feet to be trampled on by him. But God made woman out of man's rib to be co-equal with him, to walk at his side, to be protected by him, to be loved by him, to be loved by him. Thus saith the Lord. Write it down with me. God's first ingredient for being a lifetime lover is leave father and mother. Leave father. Would you say that word with me? I want it to resonate in your mind, your spirit. Leave. Leave. Just, just work on leave. Because some of you haven't left yet. What do you mean? I couldn't wait to get out of my parents' house to get married. But you haven't left yet. The call, God's call to leave is far more than moving out of your parents' home. God's call to leave is to grow up, to mature, to stop thinking about me, myself, and I all the time and start living for the other. God's call to leave is about being other-centered. When you live for your spouse, your desire, your passion, your focus, your consuming desire is to fulfill your spouse's needs, to make them happy, to encourage them, to love them, to cheer them up, to be on a quest of intimacy where you discover their needs and seek to fulfill them 24-7. When you grow up, when you're mature enough to be married. All kinds of wonderful things happen. Now, we think it's cute when we go to the store, the mall, even here in church, when uh, little Johnny throws a tantrum and he looks like he's, you know, 
possessed by some unclean spirit. That's what our daughter used to do all the time. Our Jenny, when she didn't get her way, and people would say, oh, look at him, that funny. When she wouldn't get what she wanted. I was waiting for that head to just, just you know, start rotating. We think that, we laugh at that. But I want to cry when I sit down in my counseling chamber with a couple where he or she says, I'm not getting my way. And it's my way or the highway. Don't you understand? It's about me, myself, and I. I want to cry. I don't laugh. Because I see such childish behavior. I, I see such immaturity. One of the most basic ingredients for any marriage that God has ordained is maturity. The ability to be other-centered. The ability to reject the notion that the world embraces that marriage is a 50-50 proposition. I want you to know that that comes from the pit of hell. You do for me, then I'll do for you. That's conditional love. The mature Christian marriage understands, yea, is keenly aware that marriage is 110% to nothing. And there's many times you get nothing in marriage. But you're called to give. You're called to bless. You're called to encourage. You're called to wait on that one. To love that one. Pat, it's so good to see you here this morning. We've been praying for you, honey. God bless you. And I wish I could have been here so much as Pat Vandenberg did not, did not, did not say goodbye to her Tony in this past 10 days. But she said, I'll see you in the morning. And this young lady, she kept her vows. Time and time again, when I would see her at the hospital, time and time again, seeing her faithful at the nursing home rehabilitation centers, I would tell her, I would like Pat to bring the young couples in here. I would like to bring the millennials in here. I would like to bring the young uh, married couples in here who had just said their vows of richer for poor, sickness and in health, better or for worse. Because they stand on the marriage altar so many times, it's not going to happen to me. It always happens to someone else. You want to see real love? Real love is not a beautiful wedding. I don't care how expensive, how much money you pay. Real love is when your husband's had a stroke and you've stood by his side from January all the way up to October and have been faithful day in and day out for better or for worse. It's maturity. It's growing up. It's being other-centered. It's being faithful to that one. It's rejecting the notion, I'll love you if you keep your good looks. I'll love you if you bring home a fat paycheck. I'll love you if you remain looking young. That's marriage with escape clauses. That's marriage with an escape hatch. That's marriage with fine print at the bottom of the page. I love you if. That's not real love. Real love is, I love you for better or for worse. This is the kind of love that we're called to. Yes. God's next ingredient for the marriage. Next God's next ingredient for the marriage, lifetime lovers not only leave, but they cleave to one another. Can you say that word with me? Cleave. 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 A man was taking a walk through a cemetery because it was such a beautiful beautiful spot, a hallowed spot, and he noticed a man over in the corner of the cemetery just sobbing, sobbing in front of a headstone. As he got up closer, he heard the man say, why did you die? 
Why did you die? He came up and he put his arm around the man. And he said, was it your father? No. Why did you die? Was it your mother? No. Why did you? Who was it? It was my, my wife's first husband. Why did you die? Some are just getting it. <laughs> cleave. The word cleave comes from the original Hebrew. It's translated from the Hebrew word for glue. God's idea, God's design for the marriage is stuck together like glue marriages. Again, no escape clauses, no escape hatches, permanency, bonding before a holy God. The basic problem today is our world views marriage with all kinds of escape clauses. Uh, holy vows like till death do us part are, 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 have become a mere formality. Now today it's till disagreement do us part, till you lose your good looks, do us part, uh, till divorce, do us part. Lakeside family, keep your vows. As I stand upon the authority of Holy Scripture and before a holy God, keep your vows. Keep your vows. Remain committed. If you do, you'll enjoy blessings the blessings and the divine favor of God because His Word promises to bless the obedient. If you do, you'll experience a home full of peace. You'll create happy memories with your children. You'll experience a love that has been tested and tempered like hardened steel and survived. You'll experience the warm, loving embrace. You'll look into the eyes of one that you can say, I cannot imagine life without you. You're my best friend. I want to grow old with you and nobody else. A love that is tested. A love that is tempered. Now, if you remain committed in your marriage, I want to warn you. I want to warn you. There will be some things you're going to miss out on. You'll miss out on the pain and the heartbreak of a broken home. You'll miss out on the wranglings over visitation rights and custody rights. You'll miss out on hearing your children call somebody else daddy, somebody else mommy, and, and you'll miss dinners alone uh, at night and, and terrible regret. Listen, a marriage made in heaven is far more than a cliché. A real godly Christian marriage is far more than a legal contract. It's a spiritual covenant. For coming to that ceremony, there is an unseen attender. There is an unseen guest. There is an unseen witness. I told my son that at his ceremony. You stand before a holy God and you make holy promises. Keep your vows, son. Keep your vows. Remain committed. Oh yeah, it's, it's easier to walk out than to work it through. But your children will thank you for it. Your grandchildren will thank you for it. Uh, your family circle will thank you for it. Your church will thank you for it. And one day God will stand before you and raise up His hands and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. There's blessings for the obedient. God's design for marriage is leave and cleave. Jesus picked up on this, and Jesus himself said in Mark 10, verse 9, what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So don't quit. Hang tough. Stay at it. Remain committed. 
And he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Write it down with me. God's prescription for being lifetime lovers is leave, cleave, and then notice, and they shall be one flesh. Let's return to Genesis 2. There where God says in Genesis chapter 2, put it on the slide please, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. What do we have here? What do we have here? God's intention for marriage. God's intention for marriage is oneness. It's unity. Total transparency. Nothing hidden. The totality of intimacy. If your marriage has not achieved total intimacy. You're not enjoying a healthy and a happy marriage. You're settling for second-rate, second-class. Intimacy. The world can enjoy intimacy. Any dog or cat with a libido can enjoy physical intimacy. The world enjoys intellectual, emotional, relational intimacy. What the world cannot enjoy is total intimacy. What's total intimacy? It's when a man and a woman of God come together in marriage and hold hands before a holy God and begin to call out to God in prayer and they walk together in Jesus. They walk together in the power and the might of their Lord. That's spiritual intimacy. The world knows nothing about it. Hence, hence they know not of total intimacy. God calls you for total oneness until you both walk with Jesus together and make Him the center of your marriage. You'll never enjoy the total intimacy that God calls you for. Wife, husband, if your mate is not walking with God, I, I, I come into agreement with you. It's God's will for a total family to be saved. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. The Apostle Paul says, if you're married to an unbeliever, do not divorce them. That you are a sanctifying influence in their lives. Read it. 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Peter chapter 3. Two whole chapters devoted to that issue. Keep pressing on in prayer. Keep pleading in prayer. Keep claiming them through the cross of Calvary in prayer. You are the open door for God to reach that unsaved husband, unsaved wife for Jesus. Yes, marriage is far more than commitment. Marriage is far more than faithfulness. Marriage is love. It's intimacy. It's romance with a capital R. Yeah, sure. I was with my cousin and his wife who live in San Diego, and uh, he first met his wife on, on a cruise for singles that his dad wasn't really fond of, and came home and said, I'm in love. His dad said, that's not love, that's motion sickness. <laughs> Are you agreeing with me that love is more than what you say? Love is more than what you feel. Love is what you do. It's what you do. It's a husband adoring his wife, lavishing her with romantic affection. It's a wife admiring her husband, respecting his leadership. It's a quest of intimacy where you discover each other's needs. And listen, our needs change with the seasons of life. As you grow older, your interests, your needs will change. Husband, discover your wife's needs. Wife, discover your husband's needs today and seek to fulfill them. Don't worry if they're fulfilling yours. Seek to fulfill them. You can't give without getting. We don't give to get, but we can't help getting without giving. You will reap what you sow. Give it over to God. Be a Bible wife. Be a Bible husband. Fulfill the other in the name of the Lord. Husbands, I put the burden of responsibility on you. Husbands, it's not Cupid. 
It's not Romeo. It's not Don Juan. You are called by God to be the romancer in your home. You aware of that? Five times the New Testament says, count it. Husbands, love your wives. 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 You think that God is trying to emphasize something? Husbands, you're to be the pace setter in romance. You're to be the pace setter in courting your wife, dating your wife, seeking to fulfill your wife. The number one source of, of depression among wives in America today, number one source is the absence of romantic affection. Keep courting her. Keep dating her. Enjoy long walks, long talks with her. And yeah, I know they can be long. It's okay. You're a man. Be a man. That's right. Long walks, long talks. Snuggle in front of the fireplace. Snuggle before glorious sunsets. It might lead to the bedroom. It might not. That's okay either way. The important point is fulfill her. And she'll fulfill you beyond imagination. Do it because you're obedient to the Lord. And watch what God will do in your home. God, watch what God will do in your marriage. Husbands, love your wives. I like what a famous Hollywood actor who played many romantic roles, he shocked a TV host by saying this. This Hollywood actor said this, if you'll put it up on the screen, a great lover is someone who can satisfy one woman all her life long. And who can be satisfied by one woman all his life long? A great lover is not someone who goes from woman to woman to woman. Any dog can do that. But who's the greatest lover of all? Fill in the blank with me. Who's the greatest lover of all? God designed communion this morning to remind us of our greatest lover. No matter if you're single or married, your greatest lover is Jesus. If you'll put that in the slide, please. Our greatest lover is Jesus. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Remember, the Lord said it's not good for man to be alone or woman to be alone. It's not good. Every one of us have been created by God with a God-shaped hole in our heart. That hole cannot be plugged or filled with what the world offers. Pleasure. Popularity. Prosperity. We know the story oh so well. Whether it's Elvis Presley, Amy Winehouse, Michael Jackson. No matter if it's Robin Williams, you can have it all and yet remain miserable dissatisfied. Here's another truth. You have not married the perfect person, and neither have they. <laughs> that amen came from a guy that came here alone this morning. <laughs> your husband, your wife, was never designed by God to totally satisfy and fulfill you. Many couples that I sit down with in marital counseling are frustrated because their expectations were so high that they had married Miss or Miss Mr. Perfect and that person was supposed to completely make them happy. No, Jesus is meant to make you happy. Only Jesus can satisfy. Only Jesus can fulfill you. Amen. Seek Him. Pursue Him. Focus on Him. Follow hard after Him. And everything in life 
will come into play. Every other relationship will come into order in your life if you pursue Jesus to complete you. It's not good for you to be alone. That's why Jesus was meant to satisfy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Sounds good to me. Our Lord's, our Lord's love for us is persevering. I'm so glad that Jesus hasn't given up on me. I'm so glad that I come to this communion table and I'm reminded that Jesus loved me so much. He didn't just say it. He didn't just feel it. He showed it. He went the distance. He went to the cross. He shed His blood. He cried out, I love you through every drop of blood that was shed. I love you. I have forgiven you. I long to know you. I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of time. God's word is replete. Nothing, nothing, no one, no thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He's a lover that went the distance for you, and he'll never give up on you from here to eternity. Hear me in this. This is the word of the Lord. But he's not only a persevering lover, he's a passionate lover. I said he's a passionate lover. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. This is Jesus talking. Behold, I stand at the door. Why is Jesus left outside? Why is Jesus left standing? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Why is Jesus having to knock? And if anyone hears my voice, his knocking is not enough. Now he's calling, he's imploring, he's begging, he's pleading. What is Jesus doing on the outside of the door? Standing, knocking, calling. Why? What's his desire? To come in. And to dine, to sup. You with Him, Him with you. Do you see it there? If you read the entire chapter of chapter 3, who is Jesus talking to? Is Jesus talking to sinners? There's so many times we, we, we apply this verse to sinners and say, the Lord's knocking at the door of your heart. Did, was Jesus saying this to sinners? Who was Jesus saying this to? To the church, to Christians. Read chapter 3 in Revelation. And you'll find, you'll discover a church that is saying in Revelation 3, we have need of nothing. We've got it all. We've got our act together. We are in need of nothing. And Jesus has to say, don't you see? You're blind. You're naked. You're wretched. You're poor. You're miserable. Don't you see? I would have you to be hot or, or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I have to spew you out of my mouth. Now you understand. Verse 20. So now Jesus comes knocking. Behold, I stand the door and knock because I'm a lover. I'm your lover. Will you hear my voice? Will you open the door? I want to come into you. I want to dine with you, fellowship with you. But the real danger is when the knocking stops. I said the real danger is when the knocking stops. If you have settled for a lukewarm, milk toast, mundane, mediocre, miserable Christian lifestyle, and you, you, you want to just embrace that, and you've settled for a semi-happy Christian lifestyle, one day the knocking will stop. The Bible says, my spirit will not always strive with man. Don't let his knocking stop. Don't keep Jesus standing on the outside. Open the door. Open the latch. Pull off the chain. 
Invite him to come in. He wants to know you and you to know him. I want you to know that Christianity, Christianity is not a long-distance affair. Christianity is not a doctrinal statement. Christianity is not some denominational creed. Christianity is intimacy with the lover of your soul. Amen? But there's more. In Revelation chapter 2, we read in Revelation chapter 2, please move the slide. I know your works. I know your labor. Who's Jesus talking to now? He could be talking to Lakeside Assembly of God. This church is one of the busiest churches I know. We've got something going on about every night. We, we have something going on in the facilities of this church, the ministries of this church. Our calendar is full. My schedule is full. We go day after day, night after night, and yet the Lord would say, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience, I know that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've labored for my name's sake. You have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Oh, God. Oh God, I pray that's not me. Pray that's not you. I pray that's not Lakeside. You've left your first love. You're committed. You're married to me. But you've lost the passion. You've lost the romance. And I've got to have romance, Jesus is saying. Do you see it there? How do you know you've, you've left your first love? How do you know you have a passion problem? When other things take priority over your quiet time with Jesus, instead of embracing Him, instead of love's language of prayer and praise with Him, you've left your first love. How do you know you have a passion problem? When there's no longer a thirst, there's no longer a hunger to be with the people of God, lifting up holy hands and calling out the name of Jesus. You've got, a, you've got a passion problem. You've left your first love. When you find it hard to give of your time to God's work, to give up your talents, to give up your tithe, your treasure, for the love of the Lord, you've left your first love. When you no longer no longer have a heart for the needy, the hurting, when you no longer have a heart for what God has a heart for, you've got a passion problem. You've left your first love. So Jesus comes knocking. I want to know you. You need to know me. This is why an adulterer, a murderer, a liar and a cheat was not remembered for his grievous sins. This is why he was remembered for being a man after God's own heart. Who am I talking about? David said this in the Psalms, Psalms 16, In thy presence is fullness of joy. As the deer pants, for the streams of water, so my soul longeth after you, my God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You see that word restore? I said, do you see that word restore? David had lost the passion. But what pleased the heart of God is that David came back to God in repentance and crying out, restore the passion. I know that passion touches your heart. I know that passion gets your attention. God, restore the passion for your presence in my life. Oh, would you fill in the last blank this morning with me? Communion is a time of examination. The Bible says that at communion, let everyone examine themselves. But it's also a table of grace. Husbands, have you blown it? Grace is here this morning. Wives, have you not been a Bible wife? 
Have you forgotten forgiveness? Do you have faults? This is a table of grace here this morning. Christian, have you lost the passion? Have you settled for lukewarm? Business as usual, status quo, Christian living, while God has called you to be sold out and radical in your passion for Jesus? There's grace here this morning. Restore the passion. Restore the passion. Marriage problems. Relational problems. Passion problems. A young couple was having an undue, undue share of marital difficulties and problems. The bickering, the fighting, the arguing was going on and on, back and forth. It was civil war. And they hadn't even been married three years yet. So she had a bright idea. I don't recommend this. This is not my prescription. This was her bright idea. She got a box. I'll use this one. She got a box. And she wrote on the box, fault box. Fault box. She said, the next time you blow it, she looked her husband in the eye and she said, the next time you do me wrong, next time you commit a fault, I'm going to write it down and put it in the box. And the next time you have a problem with me, you write that down. Put it in the box. At the end of a month, we'll read our faults to one another. Again, I don't recommend this. This was their bright idea. 30 days passed. They take out the fault box. She said, you go first. He pulled out the first slip of paper, forgot to put the milk back in the refrigerator. Left your dirty socks on the floor instead of putting them in the hamper. You're a poor listener. Left the toilet seat up time and time again. Then he said, it's your turn. She went to the slips of paper that had her name on it. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. As you come to this table this morning, we come loaded with our faults. My wife knows mine. I need grace. We never fight. We just have intense fellowship. <laughs> I need this table. Again, it's not the ritual. It's not the juice or the bread that forgives you. It's the blood of Jesus shed at Calvary and your faith in that. This is our cup of covenant. We renew our wedding vows to Jesus when we engage in communion. Jesus looks at your faults, and all of us have them. He opens it up, and he says, I look beyond your fault, and I see your need. Receive my grace. Father, we bow our heads here this morning in the name of Jesus. And oh, God, come. Come, sweet Holy Spirit, come. Come in thy power. Come in thy might. Come and knock upon heart's doors. 
Restore our passion once again. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning, perhaps you are here and you're not sure you're right with God. You're not sure that you're ready to take Holy Communion. You're not sure that you have a home in heaven and you want to be sure. I'm ready this morning to pray a prayer of salvation. If you would like to be included in this prayer, a prayer that will make you right with God, a prayer that will allow you to take Holy Communion, a prayer that will cleanse you from your sins and give you a home in heaven. If you would like to be included in this prayer, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one is looking around. By faith, if you would like to be included in this prayer, lift up your hand right now. How many here this morning? God bless you. I see that hand. How many more? Lift it up for Jesus. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Lift it up high. Wave it at me so that I can see it. But most importantly, it's a demonstration of your faith before God. Lift it up. Lift it up. Three people came to Jesus in our last service. How many this morning? I don't want to leave anyone out. You want to be included in this prayer. God bless you, sir. I see that hand as well. Three lives given over to Jesus this morning. Keep those hands up. Pray with me right now. Everyone pray this prayer out loud, especially those who have lifted up your hands. Own this prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. I confess I am a sinner, but Jesus, you are my Savior. I believe you died for me. You paid the price for my sins, I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. For changing me. Lord, I thank you that I have a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen and amen.